When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored by Such a Quiet Place by Megan Miranda. Welcome to Hollow's Edge, where you can find secrets, scandal, and a suspected killer all on one street. Hollow's Edge used to be a quiet place, a private and idyllic neighborhood where neighbors dropped in on neighbors, celebrated graduation and holiday parties together, and looked out for one another. But then came the murder of Brandon and Fiona Truitt. A year and a half later, Hollow's Edge is simmering. The residents are trapped, unable to sell their homes, confronted daily by the empty Truett house, and suffocated by their trial testimonies that implicated one of their own, Ruby Fletcher. And now, Ruby's back. Pulsating with suspense and with the shocking twists that are Megan Miranda's trademark, Such a Quiet Place is Megan Miranda's best novel yet, a twisty locked box thriller that will keep you turning pages late into the night. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 106, and we are recording on Sunday, July 11th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Nezra Javed, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Nezra. How are you? Hi, Katie. I am good. I am reporting back from a very sunny and hot California. How are things on your end? Exact opposite. It's cold and rainy. (laughs) Which is honestly a little bit of a is a nice change because if you ask anyone in the Midwest right about now, everyone's going to say, oh, yeah, we need the rain. Oh, oh, thank goodness. It's 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 going to rain later in the week. Yeah, we really need it. But yeah, it's it's gone from like last week was all like in the 90s and suffocatingly humid. And now it's like high 60s and I have a sweatshirt on. There you so, go. <laughs> woo-hoo, I, I, I don't even know what's happening anymore. That's, I just, you know, bring layers when you when you go to work. And just because the weather's going to change in about five minutes. Exactly. Yes, it's it's a little sad state of things over here. I know we are in California is in a state of a drought and it's hot and it's, it's a little gloomy over here. But welcome to Red or Dead. And this we thought that we'd mix it up and we talk about what we're currently reading and what we've recently finished before we head off into our discussion so tell me, Katie, what is a read that you've recently finished or what is something you're currently reading that you just have to talk about? Well, one of the books that I have to talk about, I will be talking about later in the episode, so I'll skip that one. But I started listening to the book The Ninja Daughter by Tori Eldridge on audio. And this was a book that came out at the end of 2019. And I remember Rincey reading it. I guess it must have been sometime in 2020. But this this book, it's one of those things where you're just like, how do all of these elements work together so well? But it's about a woman whose name is Lily Wong. She is a Chinese-Norwegian modern-day ninja who is in Los Angeles, and she uses her martial arts skills to protect battered and abused women. 
so this book comes with some trigger warnings for sexual assault, violence against women, but it has a really strong theme of feminine empowerment, and it's really fast-paced, really cinematic, and it just has a really great character voice that translates super well to audio. So I have been listening to this on my commutes back and forth to work, and I am really enjoying it. So I'm hoping that I'll be able to finish that sometime this week. What about you? What have you jumped into? So one of the books that I've recently finished, I'm going to be talking about that in the discussion part of the show, but uh, something that I am going to start soon. It's a very, it's, so it's Rosemary's Baby by Ira Levin. And what inspired, so I've seen the movie and Mm -hmm. what inspired me to pick this up was there was this piece on Crime Reads where there were several authors who were talking about the books that they return to over and over when they're writing their books themselves. And I'm not, I don't recall who it was who picked Rosemary's Baby, but it just struck a chord with me because I read The Stepford Vibes by Ira Levin. Mm-hmm. And oh, and I have to say, his books are a bit dated, but there are just some, his them, some thematic elements that carry over so well that you just like, I, I, I read Stepford Vibes, I think, two years ago in like in a state of brain fog from having a newborn and you know staying up all night and I still remember each and everything that happened in that book and for Rosemary's Baby of course I'm I'm sure many of you have seen the movie but if you haven't I'm not going to spoil anything for you because it's best to go in 100% blind in there but I've actually already started a bit of Rosemary's Baby and already I can see why why it's a book you want to keep returning to because it's so readable all you want to do is read that book all day long. And even though I've seen the movie, it's not taking anything away from my experience of reading it. So just a very, very short synopsis. It's about this couple who are looking to start their family, who are, who move into this apartment building and are, you know, are looking forward to like remaking their apartment. They're getting to, and they're getting to know their neighbors and things don't quite, you know, they're not quite adding up. People are acting eccentric, to put it lightly. But I am super excited for that one. I know it's a, it's like an old, old book. And I always thought that I've seen the movie. I don't need to read the book. But it, there was just, I, I'm going to try and link that article for all of our listeners just to sort of, you know, maybe you're one of your favorite authors is up there and you want to see what they draw inspiration for from. But Rosemary's Baby, and I think there was one another, Defending Jacob. Th- these two <gasps> books were books oh. that, you know, that really stuck with me, that, that I immediately went out and borrowed copies from the library. And I said, these are my next two reads. So oh my yeah, gosh. so that's what I'm currently reading. <laughs> oh, you have got two amazing books lined up. Oh, yeah, I loved Rosemary's Baby when I read it. And I had seen the movie first and then read the book and it did not diminish my enjoyment of that story whatsoever. And Defending Jacob is one of those books that it just stuck with me for years after I read it. And I still can't stop thinking about it. And oh my god, it is such a good book. Oh, wow, way to start the podcast (laughs) on such a high note. Ooh, all right. Before we jump into the rest of the episode, do you want to go ahead and give us our first sponsor? Absolutely. This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored in part by Flatiron Books, publisher of Razorblade Tears by S.A. Cosby. Ike Randolph has been out of jail for 15 years with not so much as a speeding ticket in all that time. But as a black man with cops at the door, he knows to be afraid. 
The last thing he expects to hear, however, is that his son Isaiah has been murdered along with Isaiah's husband Derek. Derek's father, Buddy Lee, who has also a long history of crimes following him, has also been clean for the past few years and is shocked to hear that his son Derek is no longer in this world. This is when Ike and Buddy decide to pair up for the last time and bring out their histories and everyone they know, find out who it was who killed their sons and get the justice that they believe they deserve. Provocative and fast-paced, S.A. Cosby's Razorblade Tears is a story of bloody retribution, heartfelt change, and maybe even redemption. All right. So if you are a new listener, welcome. We are delighted to have you. And if you're a longtime listener, welcome back. We are so happy that you continue to tune in every two weeks to listen to us talk about mysteries and thrillers. Basically, on this show, we will talk about anything that falls under that mystery or thriller suspense true crime umbrella, whether it's news items, award winners, read-alikes for favorite authors, explorations of subgenres that we haven't talked about much. If it falls under that umbrella, it is fair game for us to talk about. And if you've listened to the show in the past, you know that this is the point where we put out a call to our listeners to give us a heads up if they have any suggestions for upcoming episodes, because they really have helped us plan so many of the episodes that we've recorded over the years. It's a great way for us to know what you, the listeners, would like to hear more of. It's a great way for us to expand our own reading horizons. It's just a win-win all around. So if you have any ideas or recommendations, you can shoot us an email or reach out via social media. We're going to have all of our contact information at the end of the show and in the show notes. So you don't need to worry about getting that down now. We'll have that for you later. We just put the call out ahead of time, get those juices flowing, see if we can get any ideas formulating in your heads. And even if you don't have an idea and you just want to say hi, there is nothing that we enjoy more. So if you want to just reach out and leave us a note, we would we love that as well. We love hearing from our listeners. And if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts so that other people can find us and join in on this fantastic little mystery and suspense community that we have created. With that, we'll jump into the news really quickly. There have been a couple of mystery award uh, winners that have been announced that we definitely want to touch on. So the first one was the 2021 CWA Dagger Award winners. And Nezra, why don't you give us the lowdown on that? Absolutely. So I know we mentioned, you know, the CWA Daggers. They're these prestigious awards in the UK. And they have different categories. There is a CWA Gold Dagger. There is a Steel Dagger, the Iron Fleming Steel Dagger. And some of the winners for this year were fan. What a fantastic lineup! So the CWA Gold Dagger, one of the winners was S.A. Cosby for Blacktop Wasteland. Chris Whitaker was We Begin at the End for the Iron Fleming uh, Steel Dagger. We had Michael Robertom with Where When She Was Good. One that I especially want to mention is for the CWA Sapir Books Historical Dagger, which is The Midnight at Malabar House by Wasim Khan, which is a fantastic historical mystery. Claire McIntosh is in there for her short story. Such a fantastic lineup. And there is some, and also CWA Crime Fiction in Translation Dagger was won by The Disaster Tourist by Yun Koyun, who is an author I've talked about on the show before. The Disaster Tourist was absolutely fantastic if you haven't picked it up 
such a great lineup of winners and also such a great lineup of books to add to your TBR. So if you have not checked out the complete listings, do so right now. I will definitely leave a link in the show notes. But yeah, I am, I'm super impressed with this, the winners and the lineups. Yeah, same thing um, with, well, with the next award that was like literally just announced yesterday. I mean, not yesterday by the time that you're listening to this, but in our time right now, these awards were just were just announced last night. And so that's going to be for the 2021 International Thriller Writers Awards. Those are given out at the annual Thriller Fest, which was held online this year. But this is another one where you know, there's some really great winners listed and real quickly a couple of favorite ones ones that you one that you just mentioned actually just mentioned twice blacktop wasteland by (laughs) s.a cosby won best hardcover novel which is no surprise there best first novel winter counts by david heska wombly wyden which we've talked about so much on this show and that's another book that just has been nominated for like every mystery crime thriller suspense award there is so i'm really happy to see that winter counts uh, picked up an award for this one. And yeah, just a lot of really great award winners for, for this honor. So, so far, we've had a really solid year for award winners with the Edgar Awards, now CWAs, the, the ITW Thriller Awards. Let's, let's, keep the, let's keep this going. Let's keep this wave going. <laughs> I don't know what the next ones would be, but whatever they are. We're ready. <laughs> I hope that they, they continue this streak of awesome award winners. Absolutely. All right. And then with that, we wanted to dedicate most of this episode to the main discussion, which is basically us realizing that, hey, we've just passed the midpoint of the year. And so we want to talk about some of our favorite books that we've read so far in 2021 and touch on some more upcoming books that we are super excited to read. So Nazar, I am going to have you go first because your one of your favorite books of the year so far is one that I've, I've had on my TBR and I keep itching to pull it off the shelf and I want to hear about it. <laughs> Absolutely. So for this discussion part, we thought a fun ways would be to replicate the formula of this a mid-year book tag that circulates around BookTube this time, where, you know, a lot of BookTubers talk about some of their favorite reads, some of their most anticipated reads, how how the reading has changed, how do, what are their expectations for the remaining year. And so we just thought, we took some of the questions from there. We're definitely going to let you know who was the creator of the tag on BookTube if you want to follow that as well. But we just took some of the prompts and wanted to talk about them. And the first one we want to talk about is the favorite book of the year so far. And my pick is Good Neighbors by Sarah Langan. So this book is usually, when you read more about this book, it's marketed as, you know, Shirley Jackson meets, uh, you know, Little Fires Everywhere. And I cannot exaggerate when I say that's very, very accurate. Just a little bit about the story. So The Good Neighbors, what happens is we follow this very small town in Rhode Island where like it's so frustratingly hot it's and it's getting to everyone in this tiny little suburb. But the scene opens up with this scene of extreme tension where there's this 4th of July barbecue happening and there's just one family that is being excluded from that scene, you know? And it's from the very first scene, you immediately, you're like placed in the center of the dynamic, the tense dynamic, and that this book doesn't let up till the end. So from there onwards, what happens is there's this power, you know, 
family that basically dictates the social lives of all, everyone in the suburbs. But then there's an, there, an outsider family comes that sort of, you know, does not live up to that family's standards or whatever perceptions they have. And in the middle of the sweltering heat, a sinkhole opens. So it's a bit of an ecological thriller as well, in the sense that there's a very omnipresent threat that nature is presenting. And then that sinkhole itself becomes a physical danger. And someone from the suburbs falls into that sinkhole. And the situation just gets out of control from that. And there is just the author did such a fantastic job at, you know, maintaining this constant base of you know looming danger that that I think Shirley Jackson does very well as well where everything is tinged with so much hysteria you're not sure when the boiling point is going to be and then you know like Celeste and manages to you know capture the tensions between families between parents and the next between different generations the author does that so fantastically so it's just there's so much going on in this book And you just have to read to find out. It doesn't let up till the last, last page. It is a bit intense. I had to stop multiple times just to take a break because I was, I felt like my anxiety was through the roof, but it is so, so fantastic. And I cannot recommend it enough. If you're in the mood for a thriller that will have you, you know, just like, like once you're done, you just want to think about it for a minute. You just want to think about what you read, what that means and what that, how that applies to everything around you, this is it. So it's Good Neighbors by Sarah Langan. Oh my gosh, yes. I oh, I don't know why I haven't picked it up yet. Just be, I've gotten so many good reviews of that book and it just sounds, and everyone's like, oh my God, it's so dark, it's so intense. And I'm like, that's what I want. But it's just been sitting on my shelf, so I'll have to remedy that situation. So my favorite book of the year is one that I actually, I was trying to finish it so desperately before we started recording, and I've got like 50 pages left. So I'm going to pick that up as soon as we stop recording. But I can already tell you that this is my favorite book of the year so far, and that is The Other Black Girl by Zakia Delilah Harris. And we have talked about this book multiple times on the show. I remember just hearing the when it was first announced that the book was sold for like six or seven figures, and just reading a description of the book, and I just went, yes, I want this right now. And I actually got this book for my birthday. My mother-in-law gifted it to me. So I this is this is very unusual that I get a new book and then I like immediately sit down to read it. So yeah, the other black girl, Zakia Delilah Harris, it is described as Get Out meets The Devil Wears Prada, but set in a publisher house. And it is such an accurate description. And I wish we had something else to compare these types of stories to other than Get Out because it's I feel like it's going to lose some of its impact. It's like when you com- when we compared everything to Gone Girl for so long, but it really earns that comparison. The basic story which I will summarize in like 30 seconds if that is we have Nella who is a 26-year-old editorial assistant at Wagner Books in New York City and she is the only black employee there and so she is thrilled when Hazel, another black woman, starts working in the cubicle right next to hers, thinking, oh, hey, here's some solidarity. I'm not the only black person here anymore. Then there's 
a series of events where it appears that Hazel is becoming, you know, the the office darling. She's, you know, getting, you know, she's getting meetings with all the big with all the big editors. She's getting favorable attention from from the big boss. And then notes appear begin to appear on Nella's desk that say leave Wagner now. And she's thinking that Hazel might be behind these, thinking that there's room for only one black woman at this publishing house, and she's trying to push Nella out. So that's the main storyline. Without giving away any other details, I will say that is not all there is to the story. And I won't say any more, because when I started reading the book, and when I realized that wasn't all to the story, I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting this. So... Just, just kind of leaving that, leaving that there. But yeah, it is a complicated story, or there's just there's lots of stuff happening here, and it's one of those stories where you just kind of start to piece things together over the course of the book, and it is just so it's it's filled with paranoia because you know it's like okay, what's going on? Who wants Nella out of this publishing house? There's there's a lot of anxiety. But it's just, it's so smart, it's so well-written, and there's so much stuff about code-switching and the microaggressions that Black people and Black women have to deal with at their jobs or just, you know, existing in life, and the sacrifices that they make in order to kind of keep on keeping on and, you know, make sure that they can keep their jobs and all of that stuff. It's just woven in so well. And it's an eye-opening book. It's one that I know that I will never be able to fully understand the way that Black people would be able, would understand everything that's happening, but you still feel it. And you feel the sense of being, like, if you've ever been at a job where you've been manipulated or where you've been, you know, on the wrong side of someone who matters in the office or, you know, where if you've ever been in that kind of, like, that quietly toxic environment where you can't quite put a finger as to what's going on, but you know that something's off, but you're afraid to say anything because you'll look like you're the one who is losing their grasp on reality or that you're becoming hysterical. Like, it's all woven in so expertly. And I cannot wait to finish this book. Again, that is The Other Black Girl by Zakia Delilah Harris. Cosign! <laughs> yes, so, 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 uh, it's just, it's so good. So important as well. So the next category that we're going to tackle is the surprisingly good book that you've read. And I do want to make it clear that when I think when we speak about surprisingly good book that we've read, we don't in any way mean to, you know, diminish any author's work. I think it's just, it's something that we expected going in differently. And it turned out to be something else. And we really enjoyed it. Correct me if I'm wrong, Katie. 100%. I was actually going to say the same thing about my book. It's like, <laughs> I was not going into this book thinking it was going to be bad. Like, that is not what we're doing. Exactly. At all. Exactly. This is just something we were expecting something different. We went a different way and we liked it. So my pick for that is Palace of the Drown by Christine Mangan. And oh, this book. So this book is, uh, how do I put it? It's a historical, very intense suspense set in the 1960s in Venice. I will let you all, you know, soak that in. 
one of the main reasons that I picked it up was because Venice. As soon as anyone says Venice, I'm like, okay, I, I will read this book. I will read this 800-page book that you put in front of me. This one is not 800 pages. But that is one of the reasons I picked this book. And I had heard a lot about um, Christine Mangan's first book, uh, Tangerine, which is a very intense tale of suspense, you know, and it features like female friendships and it's set in Morocco. And it just seems like after reading this novel, I can say that it seems like Christine Mangan is so skilled at incorporating that the setting into her writing. So when I was reading this book, I could actually, you know, she describes these gondola rides. She describes these different, like the smell that almost lingers in the city of Venice and just how you you walk on those cobblestones and, you know, her heels clicking. You could almost hear these It's a very alive book. It almost feels like you're watching this black and white movie and you're transported back into time. But on top of that, what's really happening is we have Frankie Croy, who goes by Frances, and her, she is an author who has, you know, who had a great first book and then her remaining books have, you know, sort of fizzled out and she hasn't been getting the reception that she expected. So she gets a bad, really bad review and she does not handle it the most gracefully and she just wants to escape from that, you know, just take a break from that and retreat to another place, get some inspiration for her next book. Her editor is, you know, on her case about how she needs to turn in her next manuscript. So she, you know, she decides to go to Venice and just retreat and just be, just be there. And she is living in her friend, Jack, who who we, you know, from the beginning, we're shown that they have a very almost codependent relationship where, you know, Frances is close to Jack, but Jack has a life of her own. But at the same time, she has her claws very tight into, you know, Frances's life and what she's doing. And she has an opinion about everything. So there's that dynamic going on. And Frances, what happens is she runs into someone called Gilly, who claims that she knows Francis all the way back from London from one of the launch parties. And she's a huge fan of Francis's. And Francis is, you know, she is a, she like, she's skeptical. She she doesn't remember Gilly. She does not know if that's, you know, if, if she's actually telling the truth. But Gilly is persistent. And when I mean persistent, I mean, you think how persistent can someone be? But she is. And so, you know, <laughs> and they've almost formed this like very twisted friendship where it's very, it's very one-sided, but at the same time, you know, it's it's there, you know, you can feel like Francis's reservations, but at the same time, it's, you know, that doesn't stop their interactions from happening. And then something happens. And then the book takes a whole other turn. And it's very important. I don't talk about any of that stuff. <laughs> but just trust me when I say go into this book. Like that, this, The stuff that I've told you is all you need to you know about this book. And if that sounds at all interesting, I assure you, you'll enjoy the rest of it. It's suspenseful. It's vivid. It was such a treat to read this book. So again, that's Palace of the Drowned by Christine Mangan. All right. And then before I jump into my next pick, I have our second sponsor, which I am super excited to tell you about because this book just sounds so interesting. And our second sponsor is Algonquin Books, who are the publishers of The Case of the Murderous Dr. Cream by Dean Job. And this is a historical true crime book. 
following Dr. Thomas Neal Cream's killing spree, which spanned the United States, Britain, and Canada with poison as his weapon of choice. And author Dean Job transports readers to the late 19th century as Dr. Cream's crimes marked the emergence of a new breed of killer, one who operated without motive or remorse and who murdered simply for the sake of murder. This book really exposes the blind trust given to medical practitioners, as well as the flawed detection methods, bungled investigations, corrupt officials, and stifling morality of Victorian society that allowed Dr. Cream to prey on vulnerable and desperate women, many of whom had turned to him for medical help. And reading that synopsis, that just feels like a case of the more things change, the more things stay the same, unfortunately. So if you are a fan of books like Devil in the White City, or if you're a fan of the podcast My Favorite Murder, The Case of the Murderous Dr. Cream is an unforgettable true crime story. And again, that is published by Algonquin Books, and we thank them very much for sponsoring this episode. So my surprisingly good book that I've read is These Women by Ivy Pochoda. When I talked about this book before, I talked about how it's really a blend of suspense and literary fiction. And because I don't, literary fiction's very hit or miss for me. And especially if a book tends to be more on the literary end of the spectrum, sometimes it just doesn't work as well as I want, as well as I hope it would. And I loved this book. It is definitely more on the literary end of the spectrum. There are women that are being murdered in Los Angeles. They are dancers at clubs, they are sex workers, and but they all kind of, they all get grouped together as like those women. The, the women on the corner, the women dancing, the women in the club, the women who got what they deserved. So that's the, that's the crime that connects all of the different elements of the story. And the story is told from the perspectives of five different women who are all connected to these crimes in ways that they may or may not fully realize. This was a book where I kind of, I saw where where it was going before we got to the point where the book reveals where everything is going, <laughs> which is really vague. But I didn't care because the characters were so different and they were so complicated and it really shines a light on these women who often get treated as either stereotypes in entertainment, movies, books, that kind of thing, or they just, they get actively ignored in society, they are actively preyed upon, but it really brings these women to life, which... I think is is so important. But yeah, it's told th through the perspective of five different women. There's Dorian, whose daughter was murdered years ago, and she is still very much struggling with that. There's Juliana, who goes by the name Jujubee when she's dancing, and she's kind of living life in the fast lane and trying trying to avoid anyone who's going to slow her down. There's Essie, who is a vice cop who sees that there's a crime pattern emerging with the women that are being and have been targeted in this area of Los Angeles. There's Morella, who is a performance artist whose work has really pushed boundaries, but now puts her in danger. And then there's Anika, who is a very quiet, kind of mousy woman who has willfully turned 
a blind eye to the people in her life. And you start to see how these women interact with each other, how they affect each other's lives. And it's just so well written. And oh my gosh, it was so well done. I can't even fully describe exactly what makes this book work. You just, you have to read it. And like I said, go in knowing that the focus is not on the crime, but more on how, like, it's almost focusing more on how the crime is the way these women are treated in their lives and how they are ignored and failed in all of these different ways. But yeah, very, very powerful feminist read. And again, that is These Women by Ivy Pachoda. I have it very high on my TBR. Thanks to you, Katie. (laughs) All right. Our next category is the bookish highlight of this year. So this doesn't have to be, you know, anything, you know, your favorite read. It doesn't have to merge with any other bucket. It's just a highlight, you know, something that you enjoyed so much in the moment you think about with, you know, fond memories. They don't have to be fond memories, but something you should just remember. So for me, the bookish highlight was, Listening to Fortune Favors the Dead by Stephen Spotswood, narrated by Kirsten Potter. And this book, I've spoken about this book before, but just a quick recap. it's uh, It features two female detectives. We have Willow Jean Parker and we have Lillian Pentecost. And so Lillian Pentecost, she runs a very successful detective agency in 1940s New York. And, you know, she's very methodical. She's just, she's got a very proper way of doing things, but she's very good at what she does. She And then she runs into Villa Jean Parker, who has an unconventional way of doing things, but also she is also very, you know, very sharp, very quick to come to sound conclusions by just quickly assessing the situation. And so the, you know, we followed them as they partner up and how they've been solving cases. And it's, it was a delight because, you know, it's the nitty gritty. It, it focuses on the nitty gritty of, you know, a detective agency, which I feel like gets lost in the action. So, I mean, you follow Philogene usually, you know, she always makes these case files of every case that they've solved. And it's just so much fun to see what details she adds in, what details she leaves out. And then she herself is a, you know, mystery aficionado like so many of us. And she, we all, she's always picking up the latest mystery book from the bookstore. And uh, I mean, there, you know, there are like, there are seances involved. And then it was so wholesome. It was a wholesome throwback to, you know, just the good old mystery genre where, where there's not a lot of technology, where there's not a lot of like tracking devices going on. You just had to do things the old fashioned way. You had to hide at the, you had to hide behind the garbage truck and actually see what someone was doing. And obviously, you made a noise and you got in trouble and you got beat up. And it was, it, it was just, it was delightful. It was so well balanced and and it was a very thorough character study as well. I mean, you get to know Lillian and Villagine very well. And by the end, when it finished, I was a little sad that I wasn't going to get to spend more time with them. So it was it was definitely one of the bookish highlights of the year. When I think about this book, I think of it very fondly. So it's Fortune Favors the Dead by Stephen Spotswood and narrated by Kirsten Porter. Oh, I, I remember you talking about that book, but I forgot that you had listened to it on audio. And so now I'm making a note to add that to my audio TBR. The book was on my list, but I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to find more audiobooks to just kind of pop in and see how they go. And that sounds like a really good pick. And actually my bookish highlight is an audiobook as well, and it's the audio version of The Lost Man by Jane Harper, narrated by Stephen Shanahan. 
I mean, we talk about Jane Harper so much on this show, and we talk so much about how she's a really good read-alike for Tana French, and this book, I think, really exemplifies that. It's a standalone novel, so you don't have to have read her previous two books in order to understand this one. The basic premise is you have two brothers that they they meet at the edge of their properties, and they they each own just these huge cattle ranches, basically. Like, we're talking acres and acres and acres. Like, you can drive for hours across one of their properties and still not get to the the bordering farm on the other side. They're huge. And they so they meet in between their two properties because they have discovered that their third brother is lying dead beneath the what's known as the Stockman's grave. It's supposed to be a gravestone from the 1800s where a man walked out into the outback and Basically, he just kept walking and then died. And then that's where the tombstone was erected. And their brother is dead. And so they have to ask, did their brother do this himself? Or did someone bring him out here to die? And if someone did bring him out here to die, who did it? Because there aren't a ton of suspects in the area aside from their respective family members. And I'm so glad I listened to it on audio. The narrator brings such a gritty realism to it. Like, Jane Harper's books are ones where the the landscape is its own character. And it's because it takes place in Australia, you just feel the weight of this immense landscape just hanging over everything and affecting all of the choices that the characters make. And the narrator, he just really brings that out in his telling of the story. Now, so not only was it just compelling listening, especially with his Australian accent, which just, it just, oh, I loved it so much. But this was also a book that did not end the way I expected it to. It really didn't. It ended in a, in a way that made sense, and it was satisfactory in that way, but it was very much like a ton of French ending, where you may understand why things happened the way they did, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a happy ending. Jane Harper just, I think she she just really, she really did that so well with this book. I won't give away any other plot details because I this is another book that I think going in blind is important because you do get to experience the, the way the story changes and you're like, oh, I was not anticipating that. So yeah, this book was just, was so good. If you have not read this book yet, and it's on your TBR, please consider picking up on audio. It was so fantastic. I stayed up way past my bedtime listening to this book so that I could finish it. It was that good. So again, that is The Lost Man by Jane Harper, narrated by Stephen Shanahan. I feel like as an adult, any book that makes you stay past your bedtime, it should (laughs) automatically be like a promoted book because, I mean... Mm -hmm. That's hard. Adults like our, we like our bedtimes. (laughs) We were adults. We like our, we like to think we're adults and we like our bedtime. (laughs) Hey, no, I, yeah, I, if I'm like, I'm like, if I'm reading a book and I'm like, it's two in the morning, but I've got to keep reading. That's I'm like, okay, I'm going to tell everyone at work about this book tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's for me, usually it's staying up to read a book is never a priority. But when a book makes me do that, I immediately, everyone in my life hears about it, because obviously, I have to explain why I'm so tired the next day. But you know, you know how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. So the next category is what's our next reading priority? So what I mean by that is what do we hope to achieve in the remaining year? What do we, you know, what do we want to focus on? So for me, it's, uh, so I like to, you know, make sure that my reading is a good balance of, you know, focusing on everyone's voices. And, but I do feel like this year, my, I have missed out on a lot of own voices, a lot of uh, people of color uh, reads, particularly in the mystery and thriller genre. I do do a lot of that. And, you know, literary fiction is another one of my weak spots where I absolutely love literary fiction. And I have a lot of, you know, own voices, people of color voices, but I definitely want to read more of those in the mystery and thriller genre 2020 was a fantastic year where I read, you know, three by DM Mashani, which was amazing. Even as we breathe, there were just some fantastic books that I discovered last year. And uh, I hope to, you know, make the best of the remaining of 2021 and come across more of those reads. What about you, Katie? Um, well, yeah, I definitely second that. I mean, it's one of those things where this has not been a great reading year for me in general, but that's definitely an area that I am looking, definitely looking to improve on. Specifically for me, the one um, I listed two, one was just in general, more reading and fewer phone games, because that's what's been keeping me from reading. And I'm like, yeah, it's like, oh, I have, you know, I have the stuff that I want to, that I want to read, but I came back from work. I am so tired. I, my brain does not want to focus on anything except this little number game that I'm playing on my phone or whatever the case may be. <laughs> so, so that is going to, that I know is going to require a, require a shift that may be easier said than done, but I have, I have a couple of ideas on ways that I can hopefully, you know, get more books in front of my face and get my phone out of my face less. But more specifically than that, I really want to try and listen to more books on audio. For I realized that a lot, I think a lot of my, a lot of my reading slump has been based on just kind of anxiety about like, am I, am I using my reading time in the most efficient way possible, which is a terrible mm -hmm. way to think about reading time. But that's how my brain is working at the moment, because it's like, well, I want to read for fun, but I have to read for work and I have to read for Book Riot stuff. So which book do I pick that will satisfy the most categories? Exactly. What if I don't like it? And for some reason, listening on odd, picking a book on audio makes those anxieties worse, because, you know, I can't you know, flip through the pages manually to try and, you know, try and get through it faster or whatever. It feels like I'm kind of like, okay, if you listen to it on audio, this is the speed at which you listen to it kind of thing. And if it's not working for me, then I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I do? You know, and so I have a lot of these unfounded anxieties around reading that have cropped up in the last couple of years. And it makes me sad because I think there are a lot of really great books, especially a lot of really great books on audio that I'm missing out on. So actually, uh, me listening to The Ninja Daughter is a way, has been a way for me to try and burst out of that bubble a little bit, because it was a book that I had on my radar, but it wasn't super high on my TBR. And it was one that I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how it'll be on audio. Let's see. And it's been a really pleasant surprise. Um, so I'm hoping to have more reading experiences like that for the rest of the year. Absolutely. So 
I love I love me a good phone game. Like I love Fruit Ninja, I love slicing fruits. Um, for some <laughs> oh, reason, yeah. I don't know. Uh, but a thing that I have found that I put I mute the game sounds and put on my audiobook with that. So I mean, that's that's a fun way to incorporate. I've done that before, and yeah, that's one that I'm like, hmm, maybe I could do that. Yeah, more definitely. often. I I but I definitely relate to your anxieties where I feel and. For me, it's the act of picking up a physical book, which triggers all these anxieties where I'm like, okay, you know, I'm spending this much of my time. How, what if I don't like it? What if, you know, like, what if after 100 pages, I don't want to read it anymore, but that is 100 pages I could have been reading somewhere else. And Mm -hmm. audiobooks is a way that helps me actually calm that anxiety because I get so lost in the experience. So, but I, it was definitely interesting to see that, you know, I'm not alone in these anxieties. Oh God, no. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And then our last category is our most anticipated releases for the second half of 2021. I'm so glad we're doing this just because when we did this at the beginning of the year, we were like, okay, it's May and we're out of time. So I guess that's a wrap. But, you know, it's it's great that we're doing this now so we can talk about the books coming in the second half. And Katie, I'll let you go for the first on this one just because I am so excited for it. And also I've been talking for a while. So go ahead. <laughs> All right. Um, so I'm going to really, really quickly, I have two books that I re- that I wanted to highlight that I'm excited about. So the first one is The Family Plot by Megan Collins, which comes out on August 17th. And this focuses on a family that is obsessed with true crime. When the patriarch, when their father passes away, they discover horrifying secrets when they discover another body in his grave. And the body is that of another family member who had disappeared previously. And so each member of the family handles the revelation in very unusual ways. So some of it, like there's one brother who puts his energy into creating a family memorial museum. There's a sister who creates dioramas portraying crime scenes that she really focuses on. The mother just kind of her personality changes. She becomes this cheerful domestic woman and becomes unrecognizable as the woman who performed murder reenactments for her children when they were younger. And the main character of the book, Dahlia, she kind of grapples with her own grief and horror and realizes that her eccentric family and the giant family mansion that they live in may hold some really horrifying answers. And so this, to me, I'm like, okay, we've got family thriller, We've got old family mansion. We've got family. We've got eccentric family with that that have a lot of things going on here. And oh, it just sounds super dark and creepy, and possibly a little offbeat. And I think it just sounds so excellent. So that is called the Family Plot by Megan Collins. And then my second book is a young adult pick is White Smoke by Tiffany D. Jackson, which is described as The Haunting of Hill House meets Get Out. And I'm like, well, I'm sold. That's it. I'm done. In fact, I'm not even going to read the plot synopsis because I think that's all you need to know about this book. So yeah, I am super excited for this one. My body is ready. (laughs) I love how you did like us almost a you know, mic drop at that. You're like, okay, I'm done. I'm out of here. That's it. <laughs> Katie out. Oh, and White Smoke comes out on September 14th. Yeah. I had a, you know, secret reason for letting you go first because those two picks are very high on my list of anticipated releases as well. So good. Can't wait. 
And for my uh, picks, so the first book that I have is For Your Own Good by Samantha Downing. Uh, This comes out, it's going to come out on July 20th, so very soon. So Samantha Downing writes these thrillers that are so, okay, so for the lack of a better word, I'm going to use this. They're so compulsively readable that, you know, you just, you just can't stop. You just, there are these despicable characters doing despicable things, but you just need to know, do they get away with it? Do they get caught? What happens? What's going on here? And so this one, for your own good, she shifts her premise to this, you know, rich prep school setting, which already I'm in, I'm 100% in, but then there's this elements of, you know, of revenge. And it's like, like Katie said that I, even for my picks, I'm going to mention as little as possible, just because, you know, we want to create some anticipation around them, obviously. But also just, these are the picks that from the sound of them, we were like, yes, we're sold. So we have Teddy Crutcher, who has won Teacher of the Year Award at Belmont Academy. And he says that his wife couldn't be more proud, but no one has seen his wife for a while. And, you know, and it's like, it just sort of spirals from there where you're like, and where, where Teddy's life is, you know, you start to learn more about Teddy and what his actual focus is and what maybe happened to his wife. And it's like a sneaky thriller. It's set in pre- prestigious private school setting. It's complete with, you know, interfering parents, overeager students, and one teacher who just wants to teach them all the lesson. So I'm 100% ready. My body is ready for this book. And that's For Your Own Good by Samantha Downing. And that comes out July 20th. And then my next book is Velvet Was the Night by Silvia Morano-Garcia, which comes out August 17th. And Silvia Moreno-Garcia is an author who has already proven her range is impeccable. It is unmatched. She can go from writing a historical fantasy mystery set in 1920s Mexico to like you know, a fungal horror thriller, like in an instant, and she can rock them both. And this one, this one, she's back in 1970s Mexico City. And it's, it's has a, it's like an ode to the noir genre where it has hidden romance, it has political unrest. So this one is centered in 1970s Mexico City. We have Mate, who is a secretary who lives for one thing, the latest issue of Secret Romance. And while student protests and political unrest, you know, is going on in the city, um, she escapes into stories of passion and danger. And her next door neighbor, Leonora, is a beautiful art student, and she seems to live a life of intrigue and romance that Mate envies. And when Leonora disappears under suspicious circumstances, Maid finds herself searching for the missing woman and, you know, journeying deep into Leonora's secret life of student radicals and dissidents. And it's like a fantastic, like, you know, the setting and it just sounds like all the goodness that you can expect from a historical story uh, from Silvia Moreno-Garcia, but also like with the hint of, you know, like her stories are so readable. Her stories are truly the example of, you know, getting lost in a good story. So I'm super, super excited for this one. Again, that's Velvet Was the Night by Silvia Moreno-Garcia, and it comes out August 17th. All right, and... Although the list is never ending, uh, that is the end of our show. Let us know what are some of the reads that you are super excited about. 
that you're looking forward to. And if you want to shout out answers to any of the categories that we talked about, please do so. We would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you so much to our wonderful sound editor, Jen Zink, for always making us sound great. For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. For more book recommendations and bookish goodness, head over to bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search bookriot on your podcast player of choice. If you want to send us an email with feedback or show suggestions, you can reach us at redordead at bookriot.com or you can find me on Twitter at Javed Nasra. That's J-A-V-E-D-N-U-S-R-A-H. And you can find me on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And we'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.